Figure eight is double four. Figure four is half of eight. All these people are quite great because they chose to help donate. That's when you kick in something helping out the cause. Marco Selmo, Eric Trevarth, and Jeffrey Sire, Jason White, and Andrea Orth. Schoolhouse rockin' for the Major Spoilers cause, and this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Steven yam what he yam, and that's all that he yam. Rodrigo es lo que es, y eso es todo lo que es. Zach es equiles, ese tu se equiles. Matthew says la haim, because his Hebrew's pretty rusty. Look at the nerds. They read a book for you about Daredevil 2, and it was called Yellow. I had to do it. Uh, Zach dared me. Yeah, everyone can take a drink now. (laughs) Il podcast de major spoilers si solaria. That's actually pretty good. I gotta say. I liked it. Yeah, that was was really solid. Yeah. It was a good Chris Martin. I can also do the, uh, the uh, hey guys, why don't we make a song that's not whiny bullcrap? <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast, issue four, three, six. Hello. Daredevil uh, Yellow is the big book we will be looking at later in the episode. I think they heard that part. Really? Man, yeah. if only someone could break out into song. I wrote a song. Take a drink. <laughs> Let's get to some news. This week on the lineup, we've got uh, more Marvel now. We want to talk about that. We could talk about Cyberforce hitting its Kickstarter goal. Ben Affleck may or may not uh, direct the Justice League movie. Joss Whedon is back with Avengers 2, both writing and directing. And The Hobbit won't see a wide release in its 48 frames per second uh, native format. So let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and let's see where we land. I'm going to be so drunk at the end of this episode. I know some people are saying, I've got to be drunk to listen to this. Oh, there it lands right there on Cyberforce hitting its Kickstarter goal. Now, this was first announced at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con that Top Cow, uh, the first major publisher uh, to go to Kickstarter, was going to fund the the return of Cyberforce. And in addition to this... Um, the rewards included, uh, they had to hit a, a goal of $75,000 includes mm-hmm. exclusive variant covers, signed prints, hardcover editions of the collected five issues. Um, and they are going to send it out to, I believe out to the stores for free, uh, if it got its campaign. And so this past week it got down to the wire. Well, I guess it's got a little bit of time left, um, 70 hours to go as of this recording. So three more days. Um, or two days, uh, the goal, they've met their goal and they've exceeded their goal. Uh, currently, it sits at $93,845. Big success. Uh, the next thing they're pushing for is if they can get $100,000 before times run out, they'll take this instead of being a soft cover trade, uh, they'll release a hardcover trade mm-hmm. as part of this as well. For free? Uh, I believe so. Let me go back mm-hmm. to the email. Is that what he said, oh, free? Holy. Yep. Uh, yeah, wasn't it the hardcovers? The so if we raise $100,000, we will do the following. We will give out copies of the softcover edition of the Cyberforce Volume 1 trade paperback to libraries for free. 
we will work with one or more of the charities that provide comic books to our troops to get them free books. Um, we've added some new pledge levels, including a 600, 2700, 3500, and 5200. Uh, this is the final week. Uh, so there it goes. So yeah, free to, uh, to the libraries. I think this is a, I think this is a pretty big deal. I mean, this is the first major publisher that has gone to Kickstarter and they have successfully met their goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rodrigo. And, and really that is, that is the story here is that, uh, you know, this is this is a, an interesting intermediate point because Kickstarter is kind of a thing for indie projects. Well, it's and, really and, it's set up for any art project, so it has right, to be an right. art art project. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but this is a a quote unquote. You know, the Cyber Force has always been a cult, right? A thing. You know, it was never the most popular thing around. But, you know, back in the 90s, it was, it was a thing. It was probably fifth out of the uh, seven most popular image founding books. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, this is this is an interesting moment because it, it tells us that a company mm -hmm. that is a mainstream company can go to Kickstarter and get this put together. Now, does that mean that now... Disney can come in and do a Kickstarter for a Disney thing. I don't know. I mean, I think they can if they want. Yeah. I will. But, they? But, That's but, the question. But no, well, no, of course they can. The question is, will it be successful? That's what I meant. I well, didn't mean, and will a... they be allowed? Yes, they will be allowed. I don't think Kickstarter turns anybody down unless no, you violate a, their terms. They take a percentage. So, so, um, and I can't remember, um, what the percentage is, but Kickstarter does a very good job of hiding its failures. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to find out what the success rate is, but it's only like 40%. I think of all Kickstarter campaigns are successful, something like that. That's still pretty good considering that there are a bazillion Kickstarter and, campaigns. And the higher yeah. up in the, you know, if you do something that's under $10,000, it has a very high success rate. The minute you go above like $30,000, then mm -hmm. your success rate uh, starts to decline. And um, I think there's only a, if you go above... Fifty thousand dollars. There's only seventy. There's only a seventy-one percent chance that you'll get ninety percent complete. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of you know the higher, more expensive it goes, the tougher it is to uh, fund yeah. your project. But it's still yeah. interesting. I mean, uh, uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think it's awesome that they be able to pull this off on Kickstarter. I don't really know anything about Cyberforce because of I was course a you don't. You were a little lad oh. when it first came out. <laughs> you were I born in what year? Ninety-one. Yeah. So, I'm gonna. I don't think I, I don't think I could read then. Stop being Maybe. young. I'm trying. I grew I'm pretty up. sure Cyberforce came out in '93. Somewhere two? around there. Furthermore, you shouldn't feel too bad. There are plenty of people who are significantly older than you that haven't heard of Cyberforce. Right. It really True. wasn't the most popular thing on the blog. Which is quite awesome that it actually can pull the seventy-five thousand dollars for how little known it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1992. Well, 20,000 people kicking in three bucks each would be $60,000 right there. So. Yeah, and you know, they had uh, varying pledge levels. I mean, the lowest was a dollar, then 10, uh, then 15. They had 25, 40, 50, 70, 75, 100, 150, 250, 500, 500. And you know, when you, figure um, a when you get up book sells about 30,000 copies right now. So they had a pledge of $10,000 or more. Nobody pledged that much. Um, let's see where their backers at. Somebody pledged 5000 They had one person pledge $5,000. Mm -hmm. 
Not me. Mark Silvestri. Not me. It could have been. Uh, they Quince had, Portaccio. They had two people pledge $2,500, four people pledge $2,000, one that did $1,500, four that did 1000 Do they have Rob cool Lyfeld names? They don't, they don't what? show what their name. I don't think no, they no, show no. their do, names. Do though. they have cool names for the levels? No, they just no. said pledge $1,000 nah, or more. See, that's... Pledge that's $1,000 or more. Mark Silvestri is known as one of the top comic artists in the industry, but his greater legacy as a mentor and instructor for artists including so-and-so. And so here's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get a one-on-one, one-hour art lesson with Mark Silvestri Ooh. at either New York Comic Con or the San Diego Comic Con in the Los Angeles area or via Skype if you pledged $1,000. Mark $1, Silvestri is a what now? Known as one of the top comic artists in the industry. By whom? Well, probably some people. Hey, Mark, you know, Mark Silvestri... Hey, his Witchblade. Hubba, hubba. I, all right, I'll give, I'll give it to him. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's no Joe Kubert. But yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give him like Mark. Sil- yeah, Mark Sylvester covers move books. I, I think that they do. Yeah, I would say that in wrestling terms, Mark Silvestri is upper mid card, probably an Ultimate Warrior level draw. So I'll I'll grant him that. I'm just mm-hmm. being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they made it, Matthew. What are your thoughts on this? Well, here's the thing. Just like Free Comic Book Day, a free comic book isn't free. The retailers are going to be paying. Now it's it's a nominal amount. I think it's like. 20 cents or a quarter, but retailers are going to be paying for these free issues. And then I believe what it is, is, um, for a, each that you order for a certain number that you order, you'll get a variant, which is designed to be sold with a certain price point. I want to say it's like the one to 50 variant is uh, designed to be sold for 10 bucks. And the one to hundred variant is designed to be sold for 20 bucks, which if you, you know, you buy 50 copies of that book, you're out, well, what's 50 bucks. times 25? 15 bucks. All right. So you get 50 copies of that book. You sell it. You're still down $5. And I don't think we are going to be able to, you know, at, at the level that Gatekeeper is. And get, keep in mind, in television terms, we're market 138. We're, we're right in the middle of, of the nothing. But I don't know that we're going to sell more than 20 copies of Cyberforce, even if we're giving them away. Now, the question then becomes, if you know the book is free, and only the first five issues are three, because I understand. Well, it's that only it a five-issue miniseries. I think it's a, it's only a five-issue miniseries. According to what I had read, I thought that it issues they were planning to do an issue six and take it forward as an ongoing, weren't they? N- well, if they do, it's not part of this campaign because it is only right. listed as a five-issue issue miniseries. Six, presuming there is an issue six, and right. I know somebody had a, a pine that there would be. The issue six is going to return to regular. No, well, that makes sense. I mean, in this in this case, I, I like what they're doing. In uh, there's a couple of things that really work here. Number one. They're taking the uh, the crowdsource crowdfunding uh, mentality, which I really like. And mm-hmm. number two, they're taking the the crack dealer approach, which I also really appreciate because not only are we giving you the first taste free, essentially, we're giving you the first five tastes free, so that when right. you go in, you get that you want to pay the full price for the six. And even if they don't, even if this is self contained five issue miniseries, um, that works. But there's nothing that says anything about going beyond that over on the uh, Kickstarter page. And I haven't seen anything in the emails that uh, that the Kickstarter team has sent uh, our way. I, I believe it was Rich Johnston who said something to the effect of it would return to regular price with issue six. But I don't know if that's the expectation that if there is an issue six or if there's an actual plan. Either way. So then the next uh, thing that uh, pops up uh, this week, at least concerning some big names, I mean, there's always a lot of people, and I've gone in and funded a lot of uh, Kickstarter comic books. Heck, I, I'll admit I uh, uh, sponsored the um, the Cyberforce one because uh, mm-hmm. I want to see it succeed. 
Um, I did the same thing with uh, Gail Simone, uh, Gail Simone and Jim Calafiori's uh, Leaving Megalopolis, mm-hmm. which had a Kickstarter goal, which just launched this week. Kickstarter goal of thirty four thousand dollars in four days. They already surpassed that at thirty six thousand dollars. Whoa! And that's a uh, standalone eighty page graphic novel uh, that they're going to be producing. And they had a lot of different levels for that, uh, getting some original uh, California uh, Califiori art, um, among other things. And so then that begs the question, uh, young Zach, is this the wave of the future? Will we start seeing DC Marvel? Will we start seeing image, uh, going to the crowdfunded, um, campaigns or even starting their own on through their own, uh, company website, um, to get people to fund comic books. Uh, let's say the next 100 issues of walking dead are funded through this, uh, this method. Well, I mean, top cow succeeded. So I think. It's possible that the image, the lower selling image titles, could possibly go to Kickstarter within well, a couple of years. Here's the thing, though: this is Cyberforce's 20th anniversary. Right. This is a big anniversary for one of the founding image books. And don't get me wrong; I mean, I've I've you know taken my little pot shots and said, oh, you know, it was the fifth most popular. But that's like saying, you know, it was the valedictorian at night school. It was still a best-selling book in 1993. And there are still people who, you know, Cyberforce's last series only ended like three or four months ago. So I think for me, there is a Cyberforce audience out there. I'd like to see if this would be successful selling an unknown or unseen property. Well, and that's why I mentioned the Gail Simone stuff. Uh, we don't yeah. know anything about the uh, this standalone product, but here is somebody... Mm-hmm. Here's somebody that, A, works for DC right now as a writer, right. and Califiori has done art for DC in the past. Now, granted, he did it back in the 90s with the uh, Asbats uh, stuff, uh, which I'm still not too thrilled about. Mm-hmm. But here we have essentially <laughs> here we have essentially a DC team saying, hey, we've got a book. It's an 80-page 80, 80 graphic novel. It could very easily be broken down into a four-issue miniseries if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Hey, world, would you be interested in buying a series from Gail Simone and Califiori? And people have said, yes, we would. Right. So strip out the top cow and say, hey, world, would you buy a, well, it's going to be a bad example, but some people uh, still would. Would you buy a Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld joint? Mm-hmm. And all we need is $75,000 to make this six issue miniseries happen. Wait, how much does it cost to make it not happen? Well, I, I, there's, I, that's, a, there's a competing that's, that's Kickstarter. A, you know, that's yeah. a you know, that's a you know, as I said, it was a bad example. But let's just say Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, they're going to sure, come in sure. and do uh, Green Arrow Green. Yeah, right. That's uh, that's that's one thing that I wanted to talk about the color books. How on D, on the DC side, it would be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So I, let's say they're going to do Green Arrow Green, blue and they need uh, seventy five thousand Blue Beetle Blue, Black Canary Black. Black Canary Black. Um, uh, you know, would Dr. people Fate, fund that? Doctor, would they, would they fund that? Would they fund that? Well, maybe, but see, that's that's the thing is, and what if you got a cool piece question, of Tim Sale art? My question is not if you strip out the DC part, would people do it? If if Loeb and Sale said, "Hey, Kickstarter, we're going to make a brand new book with brand new characters and blah blah blah," people would be like, "Hex yeah, I love." Right. Any given thing that you did, I'm going right. to fund this. Right. The real question is, can Marvel come down to Kickstarter and say, hey, Kickstarter, we're going to do a Spider-Man book or a Wolverine book if you kickstart us? Like, 
Can they do that? Is that, a, is that sure. allowed? If it's sure a successful it property that's already making money. Sure. It's any art project. So look, that, see, but Cyber that's Force not is what already, I'm saying. But Cyber I'm Force not... is already a well-known property. And no, as Matthew said. No, it's not. Cyber Force well, is a cult property that keeps getting canceled because it's not selling or goes on a limited run because they know it's not going to sell well. These are right. Cyber Force fans sure. funding this. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, what we I'm have saying that, we is, have the... can a company go come to the people and say, hey, here's this thing that's already successful, mm-hmm. kickstart us Here, into a Spider-Man? Now, this is a little bit different, but almost the, along the same line. Now, you know, you're not going to Kickstarter and saying, hey, Kickstarter, give us money. Right. It's, hey, Kickstarter, I want to start a campaign through your site. You're going to get a kickback. But... Uh, this Friday, there's something due this Friday that we have to do three months in advance, 90 days in advance, saying, hey, Marvel, I want to buy Amazing Spider-Man number 927, and I'm going to make a commitment to my comic book shop that I'm going to buy this issue three months from now. And what happens if these don't have high sales? What often happens when you go and you look in the uh, in the previews catalog? Sorry, this comic book has been canceled or this mm-hmm. has been delayed until mm-hmm. a future date. You know, previews is almost, I, I don't want to say it is the exact same thing, unless your comic book store, and I don't think, Matthew, any comic book store that I know of, asks for the money up front, but you're pledging that, hey, I will, and you should be, if you say, hey, I want to order out of this catalog and say, I want Spider-Man number 927, yep. you are making that commitment to buy that. It's no different Actually, than Kickstarter going to Kickstarter and saying, yes, I will buy this book when it comes out, when your Kickstarter campaign is done in three months from now. Uh, you're right. Many comic book stores actually do use that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Otter Disaster stopped reading comics was he stopped having money to throw at Mile High two months in advance. But either way, your point still stands. You know, people are going to have to come in and say, I, I am willing to buy this book to cover for the fact that you bought it for me for five months. And right. You know, at, at, at the retailer level, that's kind of what it is, is we're, well, not we, but they, the retailers, people for whom I work, are taking a flyer on something and they're saying, right. we're willing to take this bet and, you know, okay, say 10 people at Gatekeeper buy Cyberforce number one. Right. Or, you know, pick it up, whatever it is. That that costs us $2.50. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we get to issue six, if ten if those ten people are still hooked and issue six comes out at that three fifty price point right there, that's all of a sudden a profit. So it's kind of a risk reward thing. And sure, on your how, on your head, how yeah. this plays out, you know, it's a longer risk reward than most comic stores are used to playing. You're used to playing that sixty to ninety day game. Right. But there's also the question of comic book stores. And don't get me wrong, I am a comic guy, and I love comic guys, and we are all comic guys, and booyah, booyah. Worst we argument ha- we, ever. <laughs> worst, uh, we have a tendency to be a tiny, tiny bit dogmatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little. And I'm wondering, you know, what percentage of the people are willing to take a flyer on five months of free cyber force? Well, you know, it... it- I'm not saying that all of a sudden Marvel has to say, hey, we're going to screw the comic book store and we're going to essentially, because a lot of Kickstarter campaigns, the others that I've been involved in is once a Kickstarter campaign is done, uh, that product is shipped directly to you. You know, you don't you don't go down and, and at least for the backers. Now, in the Cyberforce deal, yes, they're having extra copies being made for not only the people that have pledged, but also for the comic shops to get it released out there. And there's a minimal charge there. Uh, but I was uh, like an associate producer on this movie that came out uh, a couple months ago. And I got the the DVD and the name and the credits and all of that all of that stuff. I didn't have to go to Suncoast and buy that. 
Right. Um, they sent it to you. Yeah, they sent it directly to me. So in a way, if Marvel said, hey, we're going to go with this, um, uh, or DC, we're going to go with Blue Beetle Blue, mm. and we're going to cut out the comic book shop, and everybody who wants to follow this, you have to go to the Kickstarter, and we'll ship it directly to you in its little customized Blue Beetle box, and um, and that's how it will be delivered. That is, in that way, it's kind of screwing the comic book shop, uh, and you start dealing more directly with the con- customer, just like you do with a mail order. Um, the thing is, though, um, Manhunter got had a good run, numbers dropped, the fans came back and said, we want more Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And then DC said, okay, if you guys are so excited about this, we'll bring it back because we've listened and we're going forward with it. And, and then keep yelling at six, us when we don't. And then six issues later... It's sales tanked and they're like, we can't do this anymore. And then they tried it again. And DC's like, I'm sorry, we'll put it in a backup. And even the backups didn't sell, you know, the, the issue where it was in the, <laughs> the backup backups didn't sell. dropped the numbers <laughs> on the books they were backing up. And, and then finally DC was like, I'm sorry. But if there were 20,000 yeah. Manhunter fans or uh, 3,000 Manhunter fans, and they were all willing to contribute 15 bucks to get their six issue Manhunter series should DC do that? I mean, there's well, a fan and, base out there. And, and, and really that... And we talked about that leaving the money on the table thing a few, a few uh, episodes ago. That's, that's the real story here is that Cyberforce proves that that could happen. DC could take their kind of more maligned properties or their properties that they can't get off the ground and go to Kickstarter and get this going for those fans specifically they could or or and marvel could too you know uh, dc could have manhunter they could have mm-hmm. you they want could me bring to do, omac back you want me to do my wild uh, tinfoil hat prediction i'll go for it please what is the one character that fans well there's two characters but what's the one fan or character in the dc pantheon since the new 52 that fans have been clamoring for they just question? had a, they just had a huge that is a good question rodrigo uh, but i'm looking for the answer oh uh do you know zach they just wrapped up a big can or the fans just finished a big campaign. Is it one of those Robins? Oh, is it Martian Manhunter? Not Mar- Martian Manhunter. The Flash. Nope. They the they Spectre. just did a they uh you know the DC has been in, in regards to Robin. Stephanie Stephanie Brown. Mm. They've yeah, been her. waffling and so they just finished this past weekend this this uh waffles for Stephanie where everybody's supposed to mail in waffles right, to right, DC right, Comics. Right. Dan DiDio on his Facebook page. I haven't been able to confirm it because uh, apparently some of those posts are blocked but Another website said, hey, Dan DiDio on his website says, wait a minute, we're not waffling on Stephanie Brown. You just haven't seen her dot, dot, dot yet. Right. She doesn't exist yet. So what if DC says, you know what? We're going to take Stephanie Brown to Kickstarter Mm -hmm. and we're going to put a creator that you know and an artist that you know behind this series that will not be part of the new 52, will not be part of any previous universe. It is a standalone, its own universe, Stephanie Brown book, and we're going to see if you people will put your money where your mouth is. Now, and, and, and the other thing is, you know, DC is a sizable company. Yeah, they are. Um, and they have, the backing them is an even way bigger company. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is the sort of thing that, honestly, DC wouldn't have to go to Kickstarter for. They could probably no, they just could do, do it this off on their, their own site. Like yeah. I said, they could do it off their own site, ba- basically, cut out the middleman. Yeah, basically, but the thing just is, how you pre-orders. Yeah, how do you... And that's what kicks, that's what it's going on with Cyber Forces. Right, it's a right. pre-order. So it's making sure that people are being driven to, um, driven to the specific DC page. And to be honest with you, uh, DC's website has just been effed since they 
they did the whole merger and they relaunched with that new look. It's mm-hmm. very hard to find stuff these days. Yeah. So driving people, driving people to that would be a big mistake. However, you get a lot of Matthew's favorite word synergy mm-hmm. when you do something with a site like Kickstarter that everybody knows. Oh, Kickstarter right. this, mm-hmm. Kickstarter that. So let's take a property and I'm just my just kind of aligns. Stephanie yep. Brown seems to be a perfect candidate for DC to go to a Kickstarter and do something with. Oh, yeah. Zach? If they go, I would bet money that it would be funded in probably under a week. I bet it would be funded in yeah. three days. Matthew, what are you humming about? Well, there are a couple of problems that I have with your supposition. Primarily, your expectation that anything is going to be separate of the DC universe. Well, um, I mean, I yes, true. Uh, I mean... They're doing that I with their digital uh, digital only releases, the Smallville and the um, Amakami Legend of the, yeah. and the Amakami and the Legends of the Dark yeah. Knight. Those aren't part of the New Fifty Two. I think that DC is going to let the outliers, and by outliers, I mean you know the publishers who actually have a lot more to risk on it. Let those mm-hmm. outliers actually put it together. And when this is tested and proven, and it's not just a, ooh, Cyberforce tried this, and I wonder if it'll work for something else, well, but DC again, will be that's all why, over like a dirty shirt. That's why I brought up the the Gail Simone Calafiori piece, because those are DC, you know, those are people that DC have hired. And that, as yeah, as yeah, conspiratorially I mean, uh, as it sounds, that's that could be DC's test bed, giving... You know, just saying, go ahead and do it. Now, granted, it's not a DC book. It has nothing to do with DC, but it is two DC well, and, and, recognized artists and writer. And even if if it's not secretly DC putting all this together, they have to be looking. They have to be aware yeah. of this. Right. And same thing with Marvel. I mean, the the fact that both this uh, Megalopolis book and Cyberforce got made means that they might be able to. What was that? What was that book that was basically pretty much? Stillborn, it, it never, like defend was it Defenders that never even came out? No, oh yeah, it's uh, Destroyers. Well, no. there's this Thanos. What book. was it? There was a Thanos book that was announced, and then two weeks later, well, it said, "Nope, canceled," and we're not telling you that why. That may be another issue. Um, no, I, I I know what Rodrigo's talking about though. It was I think it was called Destroyers. Yeah, Destroyers. Yeah, yeah. It was like Red She Hulk. It was like a really weird team, and I was like, "Oh, that looks awesome!" And then like it never came out. They just canceled it before it was right. Uh, before even the first issue came out. I mean, this could be the sort of thing where they could do that, now, where they could just be like, okay, all we need is, you know, this much base, and then everything else is gravy. Everybody who wants a Defender's book, pay us 50 bucks, and we'll send you three issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it, it, we're not just having talk. I mean, Kickstarter is great, as we said, and we started off this conversation with indie titles, and there's a webcomic, uh, Oceanverse, that went to... Uh, that went to Kickstarter to get a, a softbound trade made. And I pledged on that, too. I thought I've, I've read the series before. I think it's good. Got behind it and, you know, got the got the bound book. Um, and there you go. I mean, so it's really it's can be a large number of people from very, very small distributors to I really think some big publishers that can jump on board this. And we'll see. So, Rodrigo, I've put on my tinfoil hat. I've been pretty good uh, at predictions. Yep, I'll keep track of this. OK. All right. Anything else, Matthew? Anything else, Zach? Anything else, Rodrigo? Not on this. Not Navy on beans. this. Navy beans. Which means that it must be time to Navy take a commercial break Dang. so we can come back and get to some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, 
click on the Make a Donation button. 3. Donate $10 or more to the cause. 4. Sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you once again to everyone who is a contributor to the Major Spoilers cause. Every little bit helps, helps us produce great shows like this, like Top 5, like Critical Hit, like our other show, Munchkin Land, and many, many, many more to come. Oops, I probably should not have said that. Let's get to some reviews. We got reviews. We got reviews for God, I'm going to be so drunk by the time we get to this uh, Daredevil book later <laughs> in the, the uh, issue. And the duck refused medical treatment. This week from IDW Publishing, a classic Popeye book called Classic Popeye Ongoing Number 1. This is a uh, collection of reprints from uh, 1948. And, um, you've got a bunch of, there's like three different stories in this Popeye book. There are a couple of little, uh, one page one shots. Um, uh, these are very traditional art, um, that you would expect from that time period. There are basically a lot of nine panel pages, uh, or, um, eight panels plus one wide horizontal, uh, at the bottom. Um, the first one has to do with this, uh, big galoot that's come into town, uh, that seems tougher than Popeye and really just plays a bunch of mind tricks on Popeye to try to um, get him, uh, you know, off kilter. He, they even con the promoter, even cons olive oil into convincing Popeye to stop fighting so that this big galoot guy can call Popeye a, a coward and get everybody in town to call him a coward so that when they know eventually Popeye is going to fight, they can make crap ton of money. People are buying these tickets. Uh, they don't even care what the price is. Well, finally, Popeye figures out the scheme. Olive figures out the scheme. Popeye snaps and beats him up and people don't have to pay tickets to see it. Now, here's the other thing. Popeye does eat spinach. In fact, there's a whole other story where Pappy, Popeye's Pappy, doesn't want to eat spinach. And so what does he do? He eats candies and pies and chocolates and gets a bellyache. And he keeps telling his uh, son, oh, Popeye, all I've been eating is spinach. And Popeye can't figure it out until finally he he sees... uh, the neighbor lady's kid running down to the store and racking up a $500 food bill. And then he discovers that his pappy has just been eating cakes and pies. So the moral of the story, eat your spinach. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's not really anything in this, in these series, um, uh, Matthew, where Popeye opens up the can, swallows da, his spinach and then goes to town. We do have uh, a s- couple of sweepy appearances, uh, sweepy yeah. uh, speaking, just like uh, there's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and something having to do with a I didn't actually finish reading this part because I kind of got tired of the book <laughs> uh, something about a map that has been uh, put in invisible ink on the back of uh, Sweet Pea's back and the um, Spinachvania or Spinach Spinachovian uh, Spinach Spinachovian that's what he is Spinachovian Secret Service and pirates trying to get the map Spinachovian Spinachovian I don't you know whatever um these are tales that feel very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel like they've come from the 1940s. Um, the art is fine. It's very much a traditional Popeye art, like you might expect. It's not um, It's not Thimble Theater, uh, the stuff that you saw in the original um, newspaper strips. Uh, but it is stuff that you would recognize if you remember watching the very old Popeye cartoons. No Blutus, no Bluto, mm-hmm. no Brutus. Um, but the, the art and the characters are very, fam- uh, similar to the early color Popeye Fleischer cartoons. 
Um, as I said, by the time I got to the end of this one, there's a lot of just panels and panels, nine page, nine, nine panels per, um, page. And wow. about half of it is filled with words. Uh-huh. It's like Watchmen. Yeah. It's, it's very, um, it, it wears on you after a while. It's but interesting. Died in the city tonight. IDW says this is a great <laughs> companion piece for their new Popeye series. Um, yeah, I guess if you're a huge fan of Popeye, this would be great. I'm more a fan of the Thimble Theater stuff. Um, so I've got that, that big hardbound collection that uh, Fantagraphics has put out. This one's just okay. Um, Popeye fans, I think, will get a big kick out of it. I'm not sure my, my sons would sit through me reading this to them. They might look at the pictures. Um, overall, I'm giving this uh, three slices of meatloaf out of five. Popeye, classic Popeye ongoing number one out this week from IDW Publishing. 48 pages, so worth the price. Now, what are they reprinting in that? Uh, these are reprinting the classic Popeye number one from 1948 by Bud Sagendorf. So that um, would be a Dell comic, I believe. Yeah. Nice. And I guess they're going to be doing this. The, the collector's item begins a reprinting of the complete Sandendorf Popeye comic book series that ran for 100 issues. Yeah, that issue, that book ran forever. You'll every once in a while have one just pop up in the store. Yeah. Usually as part of a what we call a funny book lot. So that'd be that would run up to through the seventies, maybe even the eighties. Well, hundred issues. If it's, the, if it's the book that I'm thinking of, I think it lasted into like the the fifteen cent era, which would have put it at the beginning of the seventies, right around the end of the Silver Age. Okay, pretty cool. All right, yeah. So check that out if you're interested in some comic book history. Let us uh, once again dive into the world of Alabaster Wolves from Dark Horse Comics. It's Alabaster, Alabaster colon wolves. Colon wolves. Ah, the colon wolves. You got to <laughs> yes, watch out for those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I can Clear blame right the next out. time. It's like, yeah. Ooh, those were the colon wolves, colon dear. <laughs> the, col- the colon <laughs> wolves are howling. They're howling They're at the moon. Great cousins. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Alabaster oh, wait, colon exactly. wolves number five. Funny. Now this is the last one in the <laughs> this series. Is, this is the last issue of this uh, limited series, um, and I have been with it from the beginning. And you were kind of hesitant on it when it first started. No, I I liked. I really liked it when it first started. Then it kind of started losing me. But uh, you know, I've 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 made my peace with it. This was a really strong issue, and. Largely, it's a strong issue because it leads you forward. Like, it uh, it doesn't end completely definitively. The situation at hand has been taken care of. And I'm, and I'm being vague because this doesn't come out for another week, I think. Right. Um, and it actually comes out this week. Um, oh, yeah, it does come out this yeah, week. Yeah, it does come out this week. But, um, you know, I it... It leaves it open to continue. So I don't know if Dark Horse is planning on having another limited series mm-hmm. that is the next step, or mm-hmm. if the writer is going to go back to just print and continue from here, or what the deal is. But it does end up open to to, to a continuation, which I like. Um, the art continues to be really good, really evocative, really creepy. Um, there is a scene with a bunch of half-mutated monstrosities nailed in... Um, sort of uh, in a crucifix configurations to walls and things like that. It's all super creepy. Uh, yeah, no, it does a does a really good job of of setting up a a, a very oppressive and scary mood. Um, 
So all in all, you know, I'm really happy with this series. I think that if you've been listening to me talk about it and for some reason really did not. Thousand. Yes. Um, and, and for some reason have not gone out and buy it, then you really need to keep an eye out for the trade paperback of this when it comes out. And you should really go out and get that. Or, potentially, go to your comic book store and ask them to see if they have the back issues. Because it, it, I think this this is a series that, if you like horror, um, if you like your... Um, uh, with like House of Mystery type stuff, if you like your uh, Constantino type stuff, um, then this is this is something that you probably want to check into. You know, it's not like easy, like creepy horror, Tales from the Crypt type horror. Um, it's a kind of a, a lyrical, um, kind of a very uh, Bible heavy horror yeah which is you know it's a genre that you see in movies Mm -hmm. you know you see in like you know the the omen and the prophecy and all that type of stuff but we don't actually see it in this medium very often Mm -hmm. and i think it works really well you know because in comics you have a bigger budget as far as uh special effects the um uh, Dark Horse sent us a bunch of uh, back issues and stuff mm-hmm. that they had, physical copies. Normally, we get uh, electronic copies for review. Uh, you had a chance to look at Alabaster, what, number four or three or oh, something That was like number that. three, yep. Um, how does the art compare looking at it in the printed page versus the uh, digital version? Uh, well, it's nice to not see the Dark Horse watermark on every page. <laughs> uh, no, but it looks really good. I mean, it's it's it, it, this book has a really weird color scheme. You know, the main character is an albino. And there's a lot of blood in it, so it's oh, yeah, right like on. this. This book is kind of weirdly pink, like mm-hmm. a soft, like girls, like girl baby room pink kind of thing going. Mm-hmm. And that's possibly one of the things that makes it creepy. You know, basically, you end up with three characters in this book: um, Dancy, who's white and kind of pink um, because she's always covered in blood. Uh, a ghost girl who's kind of black and gray, and then a blackbird with uh, just sort of like uh, I think I think they're literally just called blackbirds, the ones that have like the red shoulder oh, yeah, yeah. on on their wings. Yeah. Um, and it, you know it just has a really interesting color scheme, and then of course there's all kinds of creepy monsters, and they've got their own thing going. But I mean, there it, you know this book is interesting just to look at. And uh, Stephen, you've seen some of the covers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the covers are really cool. yeah, they're really cool looking. So. Uh, issue number four, mm-hmm. according to the uh, the market share in the direct market, only sold forty three hundred, just over forty three hundred copies. Yeah, almost at the very bottom of the top three hundred mm. uh, for July. Does that surprise you? That doesn't surprise me. I think that I had never heard of the Alabaster series, if that's what it's called. Right, or, that's what um, it's called. It's a character that appeared right, out right, of the threshold. Yeah, right. Uh, so I had never heard of it before. You know, I mean, I've. I've heard of other properties, you know, obviously everybody knows um, your uh, vampire type stuff and all like a lot of other horror novel type things that are coming out, but I never heard of this. It doesn't surprise me because it's built in audience might not transfer well to comics. Mm. Um, It's also the sort of thing where if you read the solicitations (laughs) and you're in, you know, if you're into superhero comics, you're not going to. And I'm only into superhero comics. You're not going to pick this up. Right. It's not that. But um, 
if you consider uh you know how many issues does uh your more spooky stuff sell when it comes out you know i mean i don't know does does hellblazer do really well when they come out with an issue i'd have to look maybe um yeah i mean 750,000 yeah, yeah. Sure. so so uh you know i you're talking about a it, it's this is like a niche within a niche mm-hmm. um and I'm not surprised that it's not doing well, which is almost sad in and of itself. I just think that, you know, people will be reluctant to give a book like this a chance. Hellblazer sells almost twice as many right, as, right. uh, just over twice as many as, um, this one. And, you know, but, but is, is, is twice as many that good? Well, 9,000, less than 10,000. So, you know, Hellraiser has a, not Hellraiser, Hellblazer. Hellblazer. Uh, has a, uh has a built-in audience within the comic book right. base. You know, that helps a lot. Um, and, of course, you know, a history, and it's, you know, owned by a major company, and it's this and that and the other thing, and uh, that that certainly helps. But what I'm saying is, you know, and I'm not saying that these two books are really similar in, in tone oh, right. necessarily, yeah, but just, they're, they're yeah, horror, they're kind of same genre. horror, supernatural, yeah. you know, protagonist-driven comics, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, like, anthologies or anything like that. Um so you know that that comparison is there, but again, you know, Hellblazer doesn't do nearly as good as anything you slap Batman on, right? And you know, superhero comics are always, you know, comics are a zero sum game in a lot of ways, and every Avengers versus X Men thing, every new Fifty Two thing, is going to eat dollars that are not going to go to your weird, creepy horror comics or your I don't know, uh, two girls sitting across the table from each other having a conversation type comics. What's the bottom line on this? Uh, I would give this issue uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf. Uh, it's it's a good conclusion. It wasn't my favorite issue of the run. I think the first issue is actually my favorite issue of the run. Uh, but it finishes strong. I mean, this is a... This is something where I would, you know, when I see the trade for it, I think I'm going to go out and get it. Cool. Excellent. Well, see, readers, if Rodrigo's willing to go out and, and right. pick if up I'm willing a, to spend money, money on, on a trade, yep. then it's got to be good. All right. Zach the Lego Maniac, also out this week uh, from, this is IDW? Uh, uh, Dynamite. Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, Pathfinder number one. Finder. They're like... Uh, uh, IDW does the Dungeons and Dragons. I remember mm-hmm. that commercial. So now it's time for uh, I laugh Dynamite to get I in on that. I was younger then. <laughs> and in about 15 minutes, he's going to cry because he realizes I'm always so old now. <laughs> I'll always be younger than Steven. Pathfinder number right. one. So Pathfinder is not a property that I was familiar with at all getting into the comic, but... If you read Skull Kickers from Image Comics, the same writer from that is writing this, Ah, Jim Zub. He uh, is writing Pathfinder with Andrew Huerta, which I probably said wrong, is doing the art. Uh, So Pathfinder, we open up with a band of three friends fighting a horde of goblins in the middle of the day, and... There's some nice fighty fighty action and blood. There's a lot of that in this book. Yes, there was. I didn't realize that. And then there was like a lot of guts and boils spilling out of goblins. 
and then they just creepy oh, looking. my boils. Yeah, later there's a lot of vomiting going on. <laughs> but uh, so date night, date night. Um, they they know something's up. There's goblins attacking in the middle of the day, and this just isn't normal for goblin folk. So they go meet their wise master in the local tavern, which is which spawned a nice little drunk party fest that went on, which if you read Skull Kickers, there's a lot of elements that kind of made their way in here with the humor and the and the drunkenness and the and the singing and the partying, which is all which was quite fun throughout the read, which really it came down to it was it was a fun read. The the plot was is okay fighting some goblins and they're going to attack a town and we must defend them and find out what is wrong who is controlling goblins and such and there's stories that are laid out in a weird way where the main character gets drunk and he's hungover and he goes out to a lake to uh, dispose of what was left of his stomach and he interrupts a lady praying and then there's oh well you'll forgive me later when I see you probably in three issues kind of thing going on. But uh, it was nice. It was a fun read again. The art, I'm looking forward to not reading a review copy and reading it on my lovely, lovely iPad. Zach's got one of those too, Matthew. Yes. Uh, I knew there was a reason you put him on the show. It's shiny and I can touch it. (laughs) I have an iPad. That way I can be on Steven's side. Well, he he assigns me assignments and spoilers and in school, so yep. it's nice to be on his good side. Uh, yep, for a change. <laughs> yeah, next week, though. Man, oh, back to yeah. cracking the whip. You shall not pass, my class. Nope. Not again. Uh, so you like the art? The art, yes. The art looked amazing. The colors were really poppy, and the the blood was very vivid, and it was everywhere. You know, there's a character, the dwarf character, I thought, looked... Not knowing that this was Skull Kickers, um, and again, it's the writer, but still, the the dwarf kind of looks dwarf. like the dwarf from, yes, from, Skull, the, from Skull Kickers. These characters, again, all, these characters are the, the Pathfinder yeah. like, stall characters. Oh, are they? Like, okay. If you open the Pathfinder book to the uh-huh. classes, that's mm-hmm. what these characters are. Oh, oh. so is this a good thing then or a bad thing, Rodrigo? Because I take it you read it. Um, I or at least flipped through. It. I flipped through it. And is it a good thing that Pathfinder has its own comic book property? Probably a good thing for Pathfinder. You know, get more people involved in the Pathfinder community. Woo, go Pathfinder. Is this comic a a, a good thing so far from what I read flipping through and from Zach's review? This is much like that Dragon Age book that we read. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty standard medieval fantasy stab the goblin stuff. So, no, I am not in any way interested until I see something that's actually uh, interesting. Yeah. So what's your stars on this? Uh, meatloaf ratings? I'd, I'd probably give it a good three and a half for me. The interesting thing, if you are a fan of Pathfinder, said in the physical copy there's uh, a map oh, yeah, where yeah. you can play out the scenes that are going through the book. That's kind of so, cool. Use it as kind like of, a, of a encounters uh, session right, thing. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, I uh, flipped through it and... Uh, I was kind of like, well, this looks just like another fantasy fantasy right. uh, book, and I don't mm-hmm. have anything against those, but I um, 
I would probably take a pass on it. But that is out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. 40 pages for $3.99. Matthew, let's take a look at a book that came out last week. All right. I can't believe this series is still going. Legion Lost. Is it good? I mean, I I stopped reading it. You seriously can't believe that the Legion of Superheroes is still going after 50 years. No, this is Legion Lost. I think, I think he means this this, this particular of it. yeah yeah I mean I oh, okay. honestly I stopped reading with like issue number two or three of this well, and I, stopped I just reading Grifter halfway through issue one but they're still printing <laughs> <laughs> not for much though. longer at this point I shall turn it over to our automatic review omatic hello Legion Lost number twelve it is a comic book and I like it seventy five stars. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> we need to recalibrate the Regiomatic. For those of you not in the know, in the new Fitty 2, the Legion of Superheroes almost kind of, but maybe sort of did and did not change. So if you hate Green Lantern and Batman for not changing, the Legion didn't either, except in as much as it's in the future, and the Legion is thus constantly on a sliding scale of maybe this didn't happen anymore. And Legion Lost is a story of seven Legionnaires lost in time, space, and dimension. Timberwolf, Wildfire, Tyrock, Gates, Chameleon Girl, Dawnstar, and Telos. Uh, Telos and Gates, by the way, are Rodrigo's favorite Legionnaires because he can tell them apart from all the white people. Yep. Um, and Quizlet. For me, Don't forget Quizlet. Yeah. He's a Quizlet, tiny spaceship. Quizlet is going, yay, what fun! Uh, for me, Legion Lost is honestly the stronger of the two Legion books right now. And the fact that it's written by Tom DeFalco kind of surprises me because DeFalco is very much an old school storyteller in my mind. Uh, Basically the seven Legionnaires have been lost in time. They've been following a creature, an alien named Alastor and Alastor somehow came back in time and the seven Legionnaires pursued him. This being a number 12 issue, I'm pretty sure that this is a big uh, wrap up to the ongoing story. Alactor has been transformed into a presence that goes from person to person. Um, Rodrigo, you were reading X-Men back in the day. Do you remember a character called Malice who would possess people? Um, and then they'd have like a big pink thing around their eyes and it would say, oh, no, you are possessed by Malice. Um, no, but I remember any of a dozen other X-Men characters that did that. There was, a, <laughs> you know, there was a Karma who did it from far away. There True. was that. Uh, Fit, was oh, it yes. Fitzgerald? Was that like a future guy who did that? Um, Fitz, yeah, Fitz something. Fitz. It was, or Fitzpatrick? No, it was Fitzgerald. Fitz, Fitzgeraldo. Sure. Yeah, something like that. And then uh, there's Trevor uh, Fitz Fitzhugh, maybe. Yeah, and then there was there was a guy on Exiles who did that, and he ended up possessing like the the 2099 Hulk. Oh, Laird of Mighty. You remember the 2099 Hulk? He's well, the one no, guy. Because, because he was in Exiles. Oh, right. That was Proteus. Proteus. Yeah, Proteus ended up being the reason why uh, the Mimic died in Exiles. And right, that'll right. get me off on a whole new rant. So he was like Scottish case, or something. Yeah, he was Scottish. He's Moira McTaggart's son. Proteus is. Right, right. That's from what I X-Men. see. That's what I remember. That's the that's the possessor guy that I remember from X Men comics. Well, this is basically the same gimmick. Um, Elastor spends the whole issue Proteusing back and forth between the Legionnaires. Now, one thing that you need to know about your Legionnaires is they're all from different planets. 
Uh, you got Yera, the chameleon girl from the planet Durla, and you got uh, Timberwolf from the planet Zune, and you got Gates from the planet Virga, right? And you got Dawnstar from Starhaven, which is where all of the Native Americans went to live, uh, which is another story. It was the 70s. Things were different then. And Telus is from the planet Hycraeus, of course. And then you get Tyrock, who's from Earth, but not really Earth. He's from a planet where all the African Americans went to live. Again, <laughs> the 70s, we apologize. But Wildfire is from Earth. Wildfire does not have one thing in common with his Legionnaire partners that he does have in common with David Lee Roth in that he ain't got no body. Now, of course, Alastor possesses bodies, and I think you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We get to the end of this issue, and I'm, I'm impressed by three things at the end of this issue. One, they've managed to introduce a basically a love triangle without it being a huge, ugly, kind of whiny Scott and Logan fight over Gene kind of thing. It's actually done kind of interestingly. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's the best love triangle ever, but at the very least, it's a meaningful and, and halfway decent love triangle. The characters still look good. The art team is still as good as it has been. Somehow, Wildfire got a white armor that I think he got in the culling. I don't know. I didn't read the culling because it had the Teen Titans in it, and I'm afraid of them. Hmm. But uh, the issue ends. Old with people typically these. are afraid of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those I teenagers over there look like they're going to come and chase me with a rock. He doesn't. He doesn't like. Uh, he doesn't like Beast Boy <laughs> riding his uh, skateboard on the on the sidewalk. Well, when I was a boy, Beast Boy was green, damn it, and he had yep, a purple yeah. face, and his mother was stretchy, and his father had antennae, and we liked it. Um, but the issue ends with, you know, the threat neutralized and the seven legionnaires Yay. standing triumphantly and going, Yay, look at us. We're multicultural. One of us is a purple frog. I really kind of liked this issue in that it had a wrap-up. It had a decent wrap-up. And they didn't kill anybody. You'll note that this series is is notorious for almost but not really killing the characters. Uh, Gates and uh, Chameleon Girl and I think Dawnstar have been presumed dead throughout the run, which, granted, it's comic books and these things happen. But I'm going to take a drink of water now. As we listen oh, to the docile sound of the 747 mm. flying over Matthews. That's good, Nyborg. Now, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Legion Lost number 12 mm. because... They managed to keep the Legionnaires together. Yeah. Nobody's dead. Tyrock is still the leader, which is nice because Tyrock deserved some respect. Next issue is the number zero issue, which promises to tell us the origin of Timberwolf. Now, I, I want you to know something very important, Zach. Okay, I'm listening. When I, when I was your age, I read the origin of Timberwolf in an issue of Adventure Comics. It was a, it was a reprint. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, this Timberwolf guy is pretty awesome. They should rip him off and give him a pointy mask and claws. And that's what they did. Three and a half slices <laughs> of meatloaf. Well drawn, at least, you know, at, at least interesting. It's not the most, you know, original storytelling in the universe, but it does its job. It Are they tells still an lost? Story. Yeah, they still trapped yeah, in the present? Yeah, they're still in the present, aren't oh, they? Okay. They're still in the present, and there's some really nice stuff where... The characters get to show off. Tyrock and uh, Chameleon Girl start the issue in the uh, 
in the clutches of the evil 20th, 21st century, I forget what century it is, police, at which point they use their legion powers to not only get away, but get away really easy without hurting anybody. The only bad thing about the issue, and this knocked half a star off, there's a character in the issue called, and I'm crapping you negative on this, the Metamerican. Oh, and don't forget the Metamarines. Okay. Are, the, are those around? The, those are also apparently in the issue with the Metamerican. Metamerican and his Metamarines. The Metamerican costs this issue a full half star. Cool. <laughs> yeah. However, or maybe not so. There is only one uh, fake future curse word. Uh, Timberwolf did throw a sprock into uh, this, but we didn't get a whole bunch of uh, flargan and dingle kind of fake curse words, which is mm-hmm. a problem with Legion of Superheroes. Um, yeah, it's a good issue. For about the fifth time, I think I'm going to give it three and a half. <laughs> All right, there we go. Oh, that's like 15 <laughs> slices so far. Yeah, I know. By this point, they win. All right, let's take a listen to uh, Jimmy, who's going to give us a review of Amikami Power Girl number three. If you haven't read this, this is a digital-only release through uh, the Comixology and DC apps uh, that you can get on your iPad, iPad. Uh, or you can Hi, read man. on the Comixology.com website. I've enjoyed the uh, Amakami Wonder Woman was really good. I reviewed on the podcast not too long ago, and the um, Amakami Batgirl was pretty good. So I'm interested to see how uh, Amakami Power Girl wrapped up. So uh, please take it away, Jimmy. Thanks, guys. This is Jimmy, and I'm here to review Amakami Power Girl number three. This is one of DC's digital first series, and so far it has had a decidedly different take on Power Girl from the regular DC universe. In fact, this Power Girl is much more similar to the Superman of the regular DC universe than anything else, to the point of fighting Lex Luthor in the most recent issue. Now, the last issue ended with a mysterious meteorite coming down and landing on the Kent farm, Of course, Power Girl went and investigated, and it was clear that she was the only Kryptonian currently on Earth in this series. As Power Girl and Pa Kent stand there staring at the meteorite, it begins to open up, revealing Kara Zor-El of the House L from Planet Krypton, also known as Supergirl. Now, given that Power Girl is essentially a Supergirl clone, I was a little bit surprised to see that it was her rather than Superman or Superboy. But then again, this is Amikami, which is predominantly a female franchise. If you aren't familiar with it, it's based on the Amikami statuettes, which are all very busty and or risque females. And that certainly translates into the art in this. I wasn't overly fond of the art in this issue, The Wonder Woman story, which had Amanda Connor's art on the first two issues, I believe, was much better art than this. But it's acceptable, it's very comic booky, and the writing by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray is pretty good. Unfortunately, this doesn't quite have the conclusion to the series that I was hoping for. Rather than giving an actual end, it just transitions into the next Amikami series, which is going to focus on Supergirl and apparently Power Girl and Supergirl are going to have to team up to take down Brainiac. So, all in all, Amikami Power Girl number 3 was a decent issue. It wasn't as good as either of the two prior issues, but it's still good enough to earn an above-average 3.5 slices of meatloaf. Thanks again, guys. Check out all the rest of my reviews up on Majorspoilers.com. And back to you. Thank you so much for that, and listeners, you've... uh... 
Thanks. Heard a ton of reviews, and there are a ton more reviews, including a bunch of new writers that you can find over at Majorspoilers.com. Lots of reviews from everybody. Makes the site so much more wonderful. Where you welcome them all aboard, and we will hear from more of our contributors in the future. All right, the reviews are done. Now it is time to give Amazon.com a shout out. If you're looking to uh, buy something really cool, whether it be a copy of Daredevil Yellow or next week's Hulk Gray or last week's Spider-Man Blue, uh, what you can do is go over to Majorspoilers.com, click on that Amazon.com link, make your purchase just like you normally do. Sometimes you might find a pretty good deal on Amazon. Uh, I think uh, the other day I was looking for the brand new, uh, um, what you call it? And they had one there, wow. 10% <laughs> off. Nice. Oh. And I went ahead and bought it. And the best thing is, got it for that 10% off, but still a little money comes our way to major spoilers. Uh. So do us, uh, do us a favor. I know some people are buying uh, their monthly products that they buy, their toilet papers, their diapers, all of that mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. through that link over at Amazon.com. And we thank everybody very much for doing that. All right. Before we get into, uh, before we get into our Daredevil Yellow, we have one other thing that we have to take care of first. Zach, do you have any idea what that might be? Uh, ukulele it's time. time. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were, you were wrong. <laughs> Steven actually tried to fake me out. He was like, it is time. Ha And then he went off on another thing. But I have faster reflexes because I am old and fat. It's time. Hey, Zach. Yep. It's time. Oh, jeez. For the major spoilers, did you know that there was a comic book called The Modniks, which actually continued for another two years as a book called Mod Wheels? Gold Key Comics was really weird in the 70s where a stranger time. Bowl of the week, 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 week. So as I hinted at a few moments ago, next week we're going to be looking at uh, Hulk Gray after uh, after following our Spider-Man Blue and everyone who said, they haven't read uh, Daredevil Yellow. So might as well just kind of complete that trilogy of, of mm-hmm. color books from uh, yeah. Jeff Loeb well, and Tim Sale. Uh, Thor Chartreuse. <laughs> and, uh, now, apparently there's the Captain thing. America White, but uh, that only had one issue come out, Matthew? Correct. The issues, the zero issue came out in 08, and I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure if the rest of it fell apart or if uh, Loeb left Marvel. If only or... they would have gone to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. If It's called a call Only. So uh, the question this week, what is the best Marvel color team-up with uh, Loeb and Sale? And specifically, where we're looking at Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, Captain America White. And granted, I realize none of us have probably all read all of these books. Matthew may be the exception here. I liked Nighthawk Plaid. Ah, okay. So this is really more up to the the listeners. Have you read any of these other books, Zach? Nope. Well, we're going to next week. Yay. Rodrigo, what about you? Uh, I've read Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow. <laughs> and of those two, which one did you like more? Um, neither. Oh, really? No. Uh, I probably liked... I probably liked... Honestly, I probably liked both of them about the same. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I I guess I'd like to see maybe a, a, a Heroes for Higher Green. Oh, yeah. That would be... That would be cool. Actually, Power probably Man. Heroes for Higher Gold LeMay. Yeah, that's there. You go, Power Man Gold Lemay would be yeah, good. or like yeah. Power Man Silver. Like he had, like didn't he have yeah, like tiara. a silver it's a gold, tiara. gold tiara? Is it gold tiara? Yeah. Okay, it's gold. Yeah, um, his belt was also a silver chain. That yeah, Power Man Silver. So Zach of the Daredevil Yellow Spider Man Blue, 
Which one did you like better? Ooh, uh, I would have to go with the Spider-Mans. Okay. Matthew, you? Do you have a favorite? I mean, have you read all four I of read, these? Oh, yeah. I've read everything in the known universe. Actually, no. I've only read of these, uh, the, the Captain America White Zero issue and the Spider-Man Blue that we read last week and, yeah. of course, this week's Dear Devil. So what I'm probably going to vote for is Doctor Strange. Wow, I don't know what that color is, but I can kind of taste it. Okay. Um, he was drawn by... Yeah, I, I kind of flipped through Bits of Gray already. I haven't read that yet. Mm-hmm. I, I think bits still... Bits of Gray? Yes. <laughs> 50 Smashes of Gray. Um, uh, I think I think of the three, it's probably going to be Spider-Man Blue is is the one that's on my list as uh, of the these, better one. As the better one. Um, obviously, a lot of people haven't read this in, in the major spoilers uh, community and share their, their thoughts in the uh, talk back. Um, Dan said he went with Spider-Man Blue. Andreas said uh, Hulk... Um, let's see, do, 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 uh, and then a lot of people saying, did they ever complete a Captain America white? I only remember one or two issues. Um, George W says something yellow. <laughs> I don't think he said anything this week, which is a shame because I was really, oh, there he is. I've only read Spider-Man blue. I'm not <laughs> going to vote this week's poll because Matthew would go get mad if I voted and then said, well, this one, because it's the only one I know about. Uh, and I only, I only commented, commented here, here to give, give Stephen something, something to ignore. ignore. But see, I was looking forward to reading his comment. This oh, there you week, go. So there you go. Stephen's doing the double felts tonight. Oh, I mean, he's, you know, he's faking. You know what? Out. You know what would be funny too? J. Jonah Jameson, yellow. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. For ju- yellow journalism. Yeah, for journalism. Yeah. Very good. Oh, that's mm. good. Yeah. So Matthew, so far, I figure there would well. not be a lot of people voting in this poll. But how has everyone voted so far? First of all, Stephen, I want to thank you for not putting in a category that says I haven't read any of these. Because that category just makes me want to kill a manatee in the nude. Uh, so far right now, 100 nude manatee or a nude Matthew? Voting. Well, that's a good question now, isn't it? 41% voting Spider-Man blue, Abu Di Abu Dai. And then, of course, 21% Daredevil Yellow. Now, the Hulk doesn't have a song, so I don't care what they voted for him. And uh, Captain America, 14% for Captain America, white and nerdy. So that's fun. There you go. Hulk Gray hitting at 24%. Hulk, yeah. 20, 24%. So really, it's kind of split relatively evenly. Uh, to me, I think that Spider-Man probably comes from the fact that, let's be honest, people buy things that say Spider-Man on the cover. They don't know what they are. And they, yeah, they don't yeah. even no, have you're right. Good. You're right. Spider-Man Rain, you know, sold. Or is that like to call that, it Spider-Man the, one, the Dark Knight Returns? Is, is that the one with the radioactive sperm that killed his wife? Yes. Okay. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. There you Does go. whatever a spider can. Let's uh, take a Let listen to this uh, review of The Born Legacy. came out this last weekend. Uh, Cat Halo, uh, also writing movie reviews on the site, uh, nice. shares his uh, audio thoughts on the movie. And then uh, tomorrow sometime you can go check out the website and read his complete review. So check that out. Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums, back again with a couple of thoughts on a bunch of flicks. It's been a big week. Seen a load of movies, seen Ted, The Bourne's Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Legacy, and here are my thoughts. Ted is a frequently funny, mostly crass comedy. Marky Mark is cool, and Ted is Peter Griffin. For more, you can actually read my full thoughts on the Majorspoilers.com website. Yay! The Bourne Identity is a very good espionage thriller. The story is engaging, and Damon is believable, and the action scenes are great, particularly the mini chase scene. The Bourne Supremacy, it's right there in the title, this is the best of the bunch. It continues the story while ramping up the action. 
the car chase is one of the best car chases of all time, and there's one of the best uses of a magazine in a fight sequence since Alien. The Bourne Ultimatum? This one takes place in part during the Bourne Supremacy, and as such, the story gets a little more complicated. The acting and the action are still great, but the shaky cam is really starting to get out of hand. And the Bourne Legacy. While Jason Bourne is off gallivanting around Europe and America, Jeremy Renner's Aaron Cross is having his own little adventure. Renner is good, intentionally very different to Matt Damon's Bourne, and the story isn't really that good, actually, to be honest. And the action is infrequent and only okay. Hopefully, my full legacy thoughts will actually be up on the Majorspoilers.com page in the next couple of days. And my thoughts on the better real Bourne movies will be on my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies, also over the next few days. And while I'm pimping stuff, I also do stuff on Twitter, at Cat Halo Movies. And the Major Spoilers forums are still brilliant. I just want to thank Stephen for giving me the opportunity to write for the site. I'm fierce excited and really hope you all enjoy reading my thoughts on movies over the forthcoming weeks and or months. Thank you again for all your time and have a great week. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to everyone who has called in to our major spoilers hotline. We've got another batch of uh, listener feedback shows coming up just around the corner for both. I think for all of our shows coming up, this is going to be a whole week of nothing but listener feedback from all of our shows. I uh, do want to give a shout out to Tweaked Audio. Go over to tweakedaudio.com. You can get these great headsets. I gave a pair to uh, to Rodrigo a couple weeks ago. Rodrigo, have you had a chance to check those out? I have not. I want to kind of uh, have those because they have a built-in microphone. I yeah, want to try them out like in the car when mm-hmm. I'm talking on the phone because mm-hmm. everybody complains about my Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, they yeah, say really, if you'd use some fluoride, you probably would never have happened. They say, uh, Rodrigo, you look like a tool when you wear that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm not allowed to use it anymore. Well, uh, Tweaked Audio has a bunch of different uh, headsets, the little headphones that you pop into your ears. Uh, they're really good, nice, cu- comfy cushion. Seals out some of the uh, background noises. Got some good bass boost on those. Uh, they come in a variety of colors, six different uh, colors. They come in four different styles, including the kind that has the flat wire design so they don't get tangled up as easily. Uh, the best thing is when you go to tweakedaudio.com and when you use the checkout code MAJOR, when you check out, you get uh, basically 30% off uh, your order. Ooh. Check them out, tweakedaudio.com, and we thank them for being a sponsor of this show. Thank yeah, thank you very much. Daredevil Yellow. No, he's not going to make me drink this time. I switched to water and now he stopped singing. Daredevil Yellow. Last week uh, we had commented that uh, we really hadn't read uh, many of the Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb, uh, Marvel books that came in the color scheme. Uh, We've we've read a couple of the team-ups on the DC side with uh, Long Halloween and then the uh, Dark Victory. Dark Victory. And so I thought, why not go ahead and do Daredevil Yellow this week? And um, this is a story that takes place in the early life of Daredevil when he and Foggy are uh, just starting out their law practice and they're looking to hire a secretary, Karen Page. Mm -hmm. And something awful, Matthew, has happened to Karen Page. When when did she uh, kick the bucket? Well, uh, Karen Page, actually, as I recall now, this is the thing right off the top of my head. I remember her. She's the one who sold Daredevil's identity to the kingpin in the oh. midst of Born Again. Yeah. Um, she was... That's what I thought the character sounded familiar. Yeah. Karen was the the original secretary, and she eventually left the United States uh, because Daredevil... She found out that Murdoch was Daredevil, as and did I she get all? Dr- did and she then, the one that got all druggy? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah okay. she sold Daredevil's identity for drugs. She ended up being a stripper or a hook stripper or something. Mm-hmm. I want to say that she died. I can't remember if it was Bullseye I think or she, Electro. I think I thought she it was probably Bullseye because Bullseye likes to kill the girls that Daredevil loves. But uh, basically, she came back, and of course, they did they did a whole thing where she was HIV positive for a while because right. of her uh, drug use, and right. then she got cacked, which is terrible. So we know that she's dead, which makes this uh, book a, a another look back. And so right away, even though this one came out before Spider-Man Blue, oh. mm-hmm. first thing is, Dear Karen, Foggy said I should write these letters to you to help me get over this. <laughs> This blue funk I'm in. No, mm-hmm. not he didn't necessarily say it that way, but it's like, oh my god, this is yeah, the exact same story. Yeah. Well, yeah, which is yeah, what we really were joking really about wasn't. before the show is when we do read Hulk Gray next week. Uh, does he have somebody that's dead that he could write a letter? <laughs> Dear Betty, well, well, sorry oh, me smash car with you in it. Hulk sad. Dun, yep. dun, dun, dun. Sorry, you're dead, Betty. Dun, 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 dun. See, my, my concern <laughs> was that uh, that Captain America White is exactly the same. <laughs> Dear Bucky, <laughs> I loved you so much. Life isn't is it, not the same without you. Isn't it great that we're you. white guys? Yeah. The end. Oh. Um, oh, God. So, uh, a couple of things in this story. I mean, uh, this is not only uh, Daredevil trying to reconcile or tell the story of how he fell in love and won Karen page, right. uh, but also his reflection on, um, you know, his father and mm-hmm. the loss of his father, which seems to be a pretty, um, a pretty big deal. Um, Batman. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, we even see to the point where, uh, when he does become daredevil, um, and when daredevil originally appeared, Matthew, and again, I don't know my experience uh-huh. with daredevil is the Frank Miller run that we've read on the show in the big volume. And then yes. the mo- current Mark Wade run, and I think that's probably where you're coming from too, Zach. Is current Mark Wade yeah, run? Yeah, Mark Wade. Um, when did he have the yellow red uh, suit? Daredevil, I believe, was 1963. He had the red suit so for when the he... first six issues. Oh, okay. So it was a very short period of time. In issue seven, and I actually retro reviewed issue seven a few years ago mm-hmm. on Major Spoilers. Uh, Wally Wood took over the art. And uh, legend has it, and of course, this may be an apocryphal legend. Many of the things that Wally Wood did are, in fact, apocryphal legend. Uh, Wally supposedly went in and went, hey, if he's a man without fear, uh, he's wearing yellow, and yellow is the color of fear and stuff. And that's how Wally talks in my head. I've never actually heard him talk. Well, but we yes. do see Matt Murdock build his yellow-red uh, Daredevil suit out of the material of his father's um, right. uh, and boxing outfit. If you pay attention, outfit. his Daredevil boots... I believe are his father's yeah, ring boots. His, his boots and his undergloves. He he specifically yeah, yeah, says. says the undergloves. Yeah. yeah, which I think is kind of cool, and it's a nice yeah. way to honor his father, um, yeah. and also leave DNA evidence yes, everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> right. But really, this is a, you know his first big case as Daredevil is going after the people that murdered his father, and right. how they got off in court from technicalities, and how he went to go seek his revenge in trying to find the big boss, which he never really does. In nope. this, and we assume or presume that uh, the big boss is uh, Kingpin that set this all up at some point, right, Matthew, or not? Well, that's what I presume. Now, knowing the original story, the, it, the way that I remember reading it, the fixer, the guy who dies on right. the railroad mm-hmm. tracks, actually was the bad guy behind it. And I want to say that somebody, probably Miller, retconned in that the fixer later ended up working for Wilson Fisk. Mm hmm. Um, so we get, um, 
you know, we get that bit as, as Daredevil, and that pretty much is his story, except for this uh, bit with the, what's his name, the Owl? The Owl. owl. Um, but really, the, the focus of this story seems to be on this relationship or this uh, three-way love triangle between Foggy and Matt and Karen Page, and how the minute that mm. Karen Page comes into the office, Foggy Nelson, uh, Matt Murdock's best friend since college, yep. totally falls in love with her, and then Matt being Matt falls in love with her too, and she falls in love with him. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of courtship going on and a lot of rivalry. And to be honest, I, and I, I want to get you guys' feedback on this, you know that, did you get the feeling that Matt knew that, that he knew that Foggy was in love with her, but still screwed uh, his friend over? He, he before the before he says, before he came out and said I'm going to marry her be, before he specifically no. says I'm going to try yeah, to marry this girl before, and he continued that. to right. court her despite that right maybe maybe yeah. not but does it matter because at some point it explicitly happens yeah, yeah, yeah. at one point he yeah. goes Foggy goes I'm going to marry this girl and he doesn't go oh oh my god Foggy I am also in love with her can yeah, we yeah. like right. talk about this right. he's like oh cool anyway. Let me go make out with her. Yeah, while, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm there's gonna a, go see what she's doing point, right I think, now. In, in issue two or so, where he makes a remark to the effect of, "I should have seen that Foggy was in love with you, or I should have yeah. seen Foggy's feelings for you." So, at the beginning, I don't think he did, but I think that he kind of douchebagged it up at the time that he. By the time he mm-hmm. did realize it, I think. I think you and, can. You know, you can make a, a a case for. You know, by the time he figures it out. He's in too deep, like he's yeah. just totally head over yeah. heels for her, and is is gonna is gonna give it give it the old college try anyway. Now this uh, story is really set in the 1960s. I mean, you just feel it all throughout yeah. the uh, throughout Even the style of the closing. Yeah, well, yeah, yes and no, but I mean, and uh, you know, this is kind of like that that series marvels where it does happen over the course mm-hmm. of the 40 years. This one does take place in the sixties, just in the way that the characters dress and the fact that there are these new heroes on the scene, including the fantastic four, which become clients of, uh, Nelson and Murdoch. And, um, the fact that, uh, that I thought was rather funny. And I don't know, Zach, if, if, uh, this is something that, that worked for you or not. The fact that Matt Murdoch keeps going, I think Spider-Man's a really cool guy, a really cool yeah. hero. <laughs> Just yeah, to, it was funny how he kept re- referring to Spider-Man, how he was the end-all, be-all of superheroes at the time, it seemed like. And really, I think probably at this point he was, right? I mean, was he more popular than the Fantastic Four? Uh, in 63, 64, probably never. Uh, the Fantastic Four was Marvel's flagship until probably 1968 or 69. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man was ridiculously wildly popular. Yeah, so maybe so, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe. It ju- well, it just seemed that, it, and maybe that's kind of goes along with what you're saying because it seems like the greater populace was Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, and then there was this other group of people that are like, "Yeah, Spider Man's pretty cool." Mm-hmm. Why does that J. Jonah Jameson always give? Or the, every time they mention the Daily Bugle, oh, this, they hate Spider Man. Yeah, I don't know why. Man. He's a really cool guy. Um, Murdoch in his quest to avenge his father's death does. Uh, get one person in jail on the death penalty. And he thinks that it would be a good idea. He thinks it's going to be great to just show up and watch this guy fry. Mm -hmm. And then he realizes that, you know what? Death is not. That's, I mean, that's a really strong scene. You know, he shows up, he's going to rub it in. He's going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm here because I'm a lawyer. or I'm here to avenge my father or whatever. 
And he sits through the execution and, you know, is appropriately horrified, horrified right. by right, it. Right, right, right. I, I thought that's, that's possibly the strongest moment in this book. And that's what I thought, too. I, I that got to that point. He's like, yeah, I was going to go down there and chew pistachios that's in front true. of him and watch him die and watch him, you know, writhe and fry. And then I decided not to. And then I decided to go down as a lawyer. And then I decided just to go down as myself. And he does become very horrified of that. And Well, and, and you know, it... It doesn't come across, and there's a danger with that of it being some sort of political statement for or against capital punishment. And what it really comes down to is Daredevil horrified partly because of what he saw. Well, didn't see. What he smelled. Right. Mm-hmm. The horrifying smell and, of flesh. Yeah, the smell and what he heard. And I'm like, okay, I can I can deal with that. That works for me in character without being any type of political mm-hmm. statement at yeah. all. Yeah. So. I never took that as a political statement. Well, you, no, can. Always you, you always can. You could. Right. Yeah. So um, this is relatively short. I mean, it is six issues, but we get into this yeah. uh, bit with the Talon. Or I'm sorry, not the Talon, the, the Owl. owl. Mm-hmm. The Owl. I've oh, never God. heard of this villain before. So fill us in, Matthew, or somebody else who uh, went back into their wiki. You've never heard of the Owl? Their wiki searches. Seriously? Well, let me, I, I have not. No. Ha- hang on, Matthew. Let me give you some context for what uh, people who aren't comic book anthropologists okay. are, are dealing with. The owl has not been in play for a long time. The owl is the guy who is at the table every time they need to bring the, bring the Kingpin's cronies together. He is there, True. but you never see him in action. And you never, you, he's one of the bosses, you know, when they ascend Hammerhead or like. Right. They decide well, you to put a hammerhead, but you're not quite to Doctor Octopus, right? Exactly. You're right. Ex- you're and... above Silvermane, but below the Punisher. Exactly. Or like, what's what's the guy's name that was in the cartoon with like the fangly face? Like he kind of looked like the gray gargoyle, but he was all like he had like chompy teeth. I don't remember. Anyway, like Tombstone? the owl Tombstone. That's the one. Um, yeah, the owl is a step up from Tombstone. Yeah, exactly. It's like the owl is in that chain. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of the time you just see him in that chain. Like the owl hasn't been in play doing anything mm-hmm. except being in the background, probably for yeah. decades. The owl has not been a high profile by any means. The last time, well, well the again, owl is almost exclusively a daredevil villain. Zach's experiences, daredevil. Current villains. Mark Wade. My experience is that big omnibus mm-hmm. collection of Frank Miller's and the Mark Wade run. So. The Owl comes from, I believe, Daredevil number three or four, so he's big time early. But the Owl is, the Owl got hosed by fate, and here's why. The Owl used to wear little things on the back of his hands that were steel claws, and there were three of them, and it looked like he had steel claws coming out of the back of his hands. And he had a peculiar beard and pointy hairstyle Mm -hmm. that you would find, anyone who has seen a, a comic book with Wolverine in it, would find very, very, very uh, reminiscent of what happened. So now the owl got hosed because his gimmick looked like Wolverine. Oh, I see. And that's part of the reason. Now, he was actually supposed to be, and this is completely meaningless, I'm just going to say it. Um, you remember Apocalypse? Yes. The first appearance of Apocalypse was actually written as the reveal that the owl was the giant villain fighting X-Factor, but uh, a new writer came in and took it over. So, yeah, the Owl is one of those guys who is right on the edge of should-be badass but never quite made it. So, yeah, there's no reason why you should know the Owl except that the Owl is one of Daredevil's classic rogues gallery. So uh, he wants to hire 
Nelson and Murdoch to uh, represent yep. him, and they politely decline, and they send Karen over. No, to, they they do. I think they accept it. Oh no, 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 no you're yeah. right. They're they're like they're trying to politely a, decline, uh, and yeah, they're sending right. a rejection letter. And instead of taking the rejection, the owl kidnaps Karen and puts yeah, her in a giant cage, and um, Daredevil has to go rescue her. Yeah. Daredevil's powers seem to fluctuate based on, I guess, need and whim. Or has he always been able to be pull the Superman hearing trick? And if I just listen, I can hear Karen oh. Page no matter where she is in the entire city of New York. I don't know about anywhere in New York. He was standing in Hell's Kitchen, which is kind of his neighborhood, his turf. And I think that... Yes and no, you're right in that, that that struck me as very overpowered moment for Daredevil as well, but kind of a cool moment. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yes, it, it's a it thing, was a cool a, moment. It's a, it's a cool moment for right. him. So. Yeah, it is cool because he is stretching that power to just hear, to lock onto that one voice. And I think even in the most recent uh, Daredevil Annual number one that Matthew and I reviewed uh, this past week, uh, there was a yep. bit where Doctor Strange and Daredevil are up on top of a building having a chat and. Daredevil basically is like, I don't want to talk any more magic mumbo jumbo with you right now, Doc. Somebody's getting mugged three blocks over. I'll see you. And then he goes swinging out. Um, so I mean, it's cool that he has that he's it's cool that he has those powers. And then Doc Strange yep. goes, "Man, now I know how, I, now how other people feel." Um, so that is how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor um, Strange doesn't talk like this. No, Doctor was, Strange talks like this. I'm Doctor Strange, master of the but, mystic uh, arts. As Daredevil, he has to go and rescue Karen, and she okay. instantly falls in love with Daredevil, mm-hmm. which does set up that big, long story later on where she does know who he is and eventually betrays him. Um, and then we get into the last story with, um, who is this guy? The purple the guy. purple man. Purple man. Is that his name, Purple Man? Yes. Oh, boy. I purple. hope they don't do a series on this. Purple man, purple. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's his power, Delio Zach? It seems that he can control people by his just present by just looking his, at him. His his good mm-hmm. looks, probably his karmic presence. Yeah, he has a purple his, aura his, his of purple, mind control. His, yeah, his purple pheromones. Actually, the Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man, was doused in a special chemical that made him all purple. And if you are within, like, I think it's within smelling distance. <laughs> You, <laughs> you are under his control. He's the guy who mind controlled um, Jessica Jones back in the day and kept her from being a superhero and made her his sex slave. Oh, interesting. He eventually yeah. rescues. About did that with Karen. Yeah, yeah he which, was yeah. basically which is doing clear that. that he has no compunctions about that. Yeah, yeah, because he yeah. does set that up in in the uh, hotel room mm-hmm. and then tells her to jump. Um, the um, you know, and basically he comes to grips with. His father, with where he's going with Karen, to an extent, Foggy is, I guess they're still partners by the end of this series. And we get another, just this little extra storytelling of the life of Daredevil in his, in his early days. Mm-hmm. The question for you, I guess for everybody, is how does this story work, keeping in mind that this comes before Spider-Man Blue? Mm-hmm. Well, it is. I mean, it. You know, when you put it that way, then Spider-Man Blue is very similar to this. Uh, I guess yeah. as opposed to the other way around. Uh, you know, as with Spider-Man Blue, I feel that this was the wrong story. It's like, or 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 that that kind of the narration doesn't match the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like this is the story of how Daredevil gets over losing his father. 
So why is he telling that to his dead girlfriend? I feel that he should be narrating this to his father, mm-hmm. not his dead mm-hmm. girlfriend. You know, he should be like, Dad, you always told me this. You always told me that. And, Dad, I met a girl. Oh, I right. wish you had gotten to know her kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah, that would have been really good. Wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, that that's what this story wanted. Like, as with Spider-Man Blue, where either if you're following the narration, it wants to be the story of how Gwen Stacy dies. Mm-hmm. uh or if you're following the thing, it should have been narrated differently. This is the same thing with this one. Either this should be the story of how Karen dies, or it should be a story of a son talking to his father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it tried to be both. Zach, what about right. you? I agree. the 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 plot line with his dad was the way better for me than with Karen. The the second best part of the book for me was when he's sitting alone in his apartment now that his dad's gone and he starts crying because he misses his dad. I thought that was one of the best. That was and that happened early on. Right, right. And so, yeah, it should have focused more on that. It did. But then the triangle of love happened at the towards the end. Mm-hmm. Matthew? There's a definite focus issue with this particular book. And the main problem that I have it with it is... The Spider-Man story was focused in a specific time frame of Spider-Man's life. Right. And you could say, you know, between this issue, this happened, and between this issue happened. Um, Now, the thing that is important to note is this does seem to follow basically the plot of the first four issues of Daredevil from 1960. But it doesn't necessarily follow the events as they were written. It's not as as focused as Spider-Man Blue was. And I think the biggest problem is it can't decide whether it wants to be a snazzy superhero story or, you know, that story of the romance or whatever it, it ends up being. And there's kind of a reason why nobody remembers Daredevil before Frank Miller. It's not that it was bad. It's just that it wasn't necessarily inspired and putting it at this point in time for me puts it at the point where Daredevil stories are just kind of, I don't want to say, you know, a, 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 an ersat Spider-Man, but definitely a little more standard, a little less outstanding than I expect from early Silver Age Marvel stories. Again, I'm not saying that the first issues of Daredevil aren't good. They're just not as good as they would get later. Yeah. I don't know. I I was, I kind of like, again, this kind of followed the exact same thing that I was concerned about when we talked about Spider-Man Blue, how in um, Long Halloween, it's like every chapter is kind of devoted to a villain. And that's kind of what we got here, where we have the Purple Man and we have the Owl and we have the issues, uh, Electro, we Mm -hmm. have the issue of dealing with um, his father's killers and just his origin story. And so it kind of felt very much like that. But again, when it got to the Dear Karen Bogey said I should write you this letter. I was like, oh, good Lord, give me a break. Oh, no. And that, well, that's the first page. Yeah, yeah. no. And literally, <laughs> it was the first page, first sentence. I was like, oh, good Lord, no. Yeah. How could I have said that this is what I feared was going to happen? And it happened. Yeah. And so, which is why, again, I haven't, I've just flipped through Hulk Gray. Yeah. But I just have a feeling that we're seeing the same plot build up for next week. Oh, you mm-hmm. know, you know who has died previously, I'm pretty sure? Rick Jones. Dear Rick, dear Rick, Hulk, sorry, smash, sorry, love, love, and in love, Betty. (laughs) Hulk, sorry about what happened in cave. Going to walk highway now, sleepy. (laughs) 
going to turn back to puny banner. <laughs> all right, so the art. And they were all yellow. <laughs> uh, the art. Oh, think cold. I gotta say, I did not like the art in this issue. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if, if from from the six months to a year between these two projects, mm-hmm. if Sale was working on some other projects, but I don't like his treatment of um, of Matt with this really long, drawn out face and this very yeah. flat nose. Who you don't inherit a flat nose from a fighter fighting father, you know, where your dad's constantly being punched and so he gets a flat nose. That's almost what it came out with. I just did not like how Murdoch was drawn. And then it seemed like he was doing some kind of a, uh, like a wash on top of the inks uh, for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I didn't care for the, for the art at all in this book. The pencils were fine. Yeah. The, his, face looked weird but sometimes people just look weird and I just get over it <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a bad uh, philosophy especially Zach. yeah especially with this crew that's not a bad philosophy you, to yeah. have what what are you trying to say Zach well the only picture I generally see of you Matthew is your wrestler character holding his belt so he looks good right there you go but uh yes that is true the the color of yellow, I didn't think, was as effective as the blue was in Spider-Man. I think the blue set the tone more in the beginning and the end of the whole series. So I didn't think it uh, played. I mean, it was used, but I didn't think it was used as well, personally. Rodrigo? There were, there were two things I really liked, uh, art-wise. Um, and they're kind of two minor things. I really like Sales Owl. Yeah, I think that he is yeah. super creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. And again, you know, I have that scene where he's flying through the window and he's yeah, like, and, like, <laughs> and, and he's got like his arms yeah, out and, and stuff. Yeah. Little, yeah, yeah, it's like super creepy, right? Um, I, I really like that. And you know, as someone who's probably seen all of one comic in which the owl was important, yeah, um, I, I was like, oh, cool, the owl. You never see this guy flying around <laughs> and doing things. Um, and then the other one is his. Uh, Ben Grimm. I yeah, thought his Ben Grimm yes. was great. Like yeah. that's that first splash page where you see him and he's through the window and he's like got like those giant buggy blue eyes and yeah, he's yeah. all like cur- like curled up like through the wall. I was like, Oh, awesome. Oh, never mind. The bit the bit with the Fantastic Four is over. Oh well. Uh yeah. you know, I thought I thought the execution scene was well done, but other than that, I felt the art was really inconsistent. Yeah. You know, Karen yeah. looks really different from panel to panel. You know, in blue, in Spider-Man Blue, you can, like, Gwen Stacy is at least a little bit more consistent, and she's always drawn like a beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Karen, there were times where she looked like an old lady in this, and there were times yeah. when, like, her features weren't quite lined up right, and she looked creepy, and I'm pretty sure that's not what he was going for. Yeah. And that's why I'm just saying, you know, like, I think all artist styles evolve. And I think when you mm-hmm. see, again, just flipping through gray, well, might see a, a, yet another change in the evolution of the art. And that's always something that's going to happen. And I think that's great. I mean, every artist should change over time. Even Kirby uh, style changes over time. Um, I, I think there's another factor in play there, though. Okay. Last week, Rodrigo, and I believe you as well, pointed out how they were homaging Spider-Man images, right? From and you'll covers recall and me saying how Gwen always kind of looked like the John Romita Gwen Stacy, right? Right. 
I don't think, as much as I love Bill Everett, that the first four issues of Daredevil that we're actually referencing here have such a distinct look. Mm. And I think that part of the difference in sales look in Spider-Man was that he was dealing with something that everybody knows how it looks. Right. He know you can you know what a Peter Parker looks like drawn by Steve Ditko. You mm-hmm. know what a Peter Parker looks like drawn by John Romita. When you think about a Daredevil, again, most people think, "Hey, he was didn't Frank Miller invent that guy in 1979?" Mm-hmm. So I don't think I don't know that there was so much of a well. Certainly, evolution is going to take a place, and you're right on that. I think that this book is more reminiscent of a Tim Sale art job than the Spider-Man story because the Spider-Man story was Tim Sale doing his homage to early Spider-Man, John Romita, Steve Ditko, and, you know, the look, the iconic look of those issues. Uh, fair enough. I mean, I can, mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, what was that uh, Frank Miller Daredevil origin story? Was Born it Frank again? Miller? No, uh, was Frank it the Miller one that did, came out uh, in there? Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, with John Romita Jr. in the nineteen ninety thousand ish. That's maybe that's the one that I was saying. Yeah. Is that the one yeah. with the cut covers, the the die yeah, cast the cover, big die cut cover? Yeah, yeah. Of of the okay. two stories, this Daredevil Yellow and that Frank Miller. Have you read that one? I have. Yeah. Which one do you like better? Uh, I like the Frank Miller one because it has a guy named Stick. Okay. And then Stick is all <laughs> like, you know, I am no, Stick. I read it. Okay. Matthew, what about you? I don't generally read Daredevil. I haven't. I hadn't read uh, either of these stories before we read them for the show. Okay, I, I like that. Uh, I, you know, I sat well, down after I read this. I was like, okay, so here are two books: one telling the origin story of Daredevil and basically, you know, various vignettes throughout his life in the Frank Miller book, and then we have this one, which is really taking a look at maybe the first year or in the first year of Daredevil's existence. And I tried to say, well, which one kind of tells a more engaging story and one that I was more interested in? And this one, unfortunately, was not it. Well, you know, I mean, if you ask, uh, you know, if, if you poll the, you know, all of your comic readers or maybe all people that come to major spoilers and you ask them, um, what are the three things that define Green Arrow? Mm-hmm. You're likely to get bows and arrows. Right. Like, you know, he's an archer. He's got like crazy political views right. and maybe he's got a little goatee or something mm-hmm. like that or his mm-hmm. maybe his sidekick did, did smack or whatever. Right. Uh, aside from the bow and arrow, none of those things were present when he was created. Right, right. A lot of characters don't come into their own until a writer gets a hold of them and says, you know what? No, 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 no. None of this stuff works. Uh, Daredevil is now like a street level guy. He doesn't talk to the Fantastic right. Four. He, if he deals with Spider Man, it's to kick him out of Hell's Kitchen, and that's yep. it. You know, that, yeah, yeah. this is what Daredevil does. Daredevil fights international crime syndicates at most. That is like the craziest thing he does. Yeah, and that works yeah. really well for Daredevil. But Daredevil up until then, goons and has girlfriends that die. Yeah, exactly. Up until and you know this being a a retrospective to the early daredevil this is looking back at a character who hadn't found its place in the universe right um which you know potentially you could say uh in a meta sense this also fits but it's not really true because you know they could have gone back and in daredevil you'll say well i was really out of my element and they talk about it a little bit fighting electro and dealing with the fantastic four i sure wish there was a giant ninja syndicate for me to fight 
you know, I, or I just wish you were there, Dad, so I could ask your advice on these things. Well, no, but I, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying no, I, the, yeah, the, okay, the world is out of whack, whack yeah, because yeah. that's not where Daredevil belongs. And it wasn't until they put a, a heavy, like an even heavier patina of grit sure. onto Hell's Kitchen that Daredevil really finds his, his place. Okay. So final thoughts on this book, Zach, or this trade. Buy it, borrow it, skip it. I would borrow it. It was a it was a dis- decent read. Uh, I didn't know anything about really his origin or Karen going into this, so uh, I was wanting slightly to find out how she died in the book, and that really never came up. But it was still an engaging read. If you like Daredevil, you should probably read it. Matthew, what about you? Honestly, unless you're a fan of Loeb and Sale, this is probably a miss it for me simply because it's tied to a time frame of the character that I think most fans of the character aren't really going to be into. If you're a fan of Silver Age Marvel, this might be fun. But if you're like, I want to read a great Daredevil story and I really like that Frank Miller Born Again or I'm liking what you know Mark Wade is doing with it now <laughs> – or I liked what Brian Bendis did when he did the same comic uh, every month for six and a half years. Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? Oh, that sounded really harsh. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that appeals to you. This is retro Daredevil, and retro Daredevil is going to appeal to a smaller you know, group of people. I think most people are going to be fine skipping it. I, um, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I just I was really hoping for a lot. Again, maybe it's because I've read... Of my Daredevil, again, repeating myself, two fantastic runs, the right, Mark right. Wade and the Frank Miller. You, you may and have I read came, the best of Daredevil. I may have. Mm-hmm. And I just got into this and I was just like, oh, this is going to be so off- awesome. And then, dear Karen, uh, I'm sorry you did. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for me, I, you know, if you're interested in it, check it out from the library. But really, this is one that I think that uh, that you can probably skip. Um, you know, I, there are strong moments in this book. Really good, oh, yeah. really strong moments. But they happen in a story that is floating out in the middle of nowhere, entirely unconnected to any of its own themes, unfortunately. The art is really good when it hits and really unfortunate when it misses. Uh, like downright cartoony at moments where it really shouldn't be, for example. Uh, for me, this is a pass unless you specifically like were around and reading Daredevil when this period in Daredevil's history was happening and hold the character very close. Or, you know, for some reason you like, uh, you know, seeing comics wh- where Foggy Nelson has more than three lines. Yeah. Uh, because he does kind of stand yeah, out. He does. He's got his character. thing. He's, yeah. he's a strong character in this. So I would say yes. If you're you the, like, the guy who really wants to see that Foggy Nelson, Pepper Potts fanfic going on, this is where you find your good Foggy Nelson lines. Yeah. So uh, I would... The order... We, we didn't read these in the order they were released. So mm-hmm. it went... Um, um, Daredevil Yellow, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Blue, and then Hulk Gray. Right. So because we've been saying it so much, I had to go and look. Uh, first line, this is a mistake. I should keep moving. Whoever it is that is chasing me, and it always is someone, will know to... Uh, and always, and it always is someone, will know to look here, particularly on this day. So it's not, Betty, sorry, yes. dead. Yeah. So... uh 
we have that to yet. look forward to yet. Uh, we Page have that three. to look forward to. No, At blood on the sidewalk. They'll never find you, Betty. <laughs> All right, everyone. That Bruce wraps Banner. it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As you know, next week, Hulk Gray. Why? Eh, because we like to do little uh, weird things like this every once in a while, and we know you like little weird things, too. That's why we have Zach here. We'll see you real soon. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Yes, I mean to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven reads like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012